following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. All right, church, I I hope that you're doing well this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you go ahead and grab them? And we're going to be in uh, Genesis 15 this morning. And I want to warn you, this is an absolutely incredible moment in Scripture. I might get a little fired up this morning because this is, this is a straightforward gospel text. And, and uh, I cannot wait. But I want, to, I want to tell you my hope right up front. Uh, there are so many times when, when preaching Scripture that the main objective, the main goal is not for us to do this and don't do this or start doing this and stop doing that in your life. Um, Now, there are times when we come to Scripture where God's Word calls us to live a certain way for Him, and that's amazing. But the primary point of Scripture and gospel preaching is not primarily moral. It's not, hey, be good people. The primary point as we approach Scripture is so often, our God is good. I've heard it said, and I'm going to steal this this morning, that so often, more often than not, when we preach Scripture, the primary application for us is this. Look up, behold your God, and believe. Look up, behold Him, and believe. This is one of those Scriptures this morning. We're going to see very quick as we look in Genesis 15 that we're going to read about a covenant between God and Abram, and we're going to see very quickly that Abram is not the main point. Abram is not even the main character. The main character of the text that we are about to look at is God himself, and the main point is that he is good, and this is a look up, behold, and believe text. So... um, Having said that, I want us to turn our hearts to focus in this morning on on Genesis 15, and I want us to come to the Lord in prayer before we dive in, because if and since that is our main point, if our goal this morning is to see him, to hear from him, um, to behold him, I'm going to say something very obvious here, that is impossible apart from him, and so I want us to start our time just directing our hearts this morning. So would you pray with me? God, we come here to see you, to hear from you, to encounter you in a very real way. This is why we come just in eagerness to your word, because it's through your word you have revealed yourself, through your word that we see you, that we hear you, that we encounter you. So this morning, our desire is to look up and to behold you and to believe in you. And we know that's absolutely impossible without you. So God, we need you. Uh, We pray for a miracle this morning, that our eyes would be open to your truth, that our ears would be open to your word, and that our hearts would then be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, as we start into our story... In Genesis 15, we start with a vision, a very real and vivid and tangible vision that God gave Abram. God was speaking directly to Abram. God was revealing himself to Abram. And as we're about to see, this is Abram speaking back to God, 
having this dialogue with, with the creator of the universe. This is, a, uh, this is an understatement, but this is a really big moment in the, in the big picture story of God's redemptive plan. This text is a massive text that the New Testament points back to often. So let's start in, and let's start in verse 1 of chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Right away, we have to notice something. It's that God knows Abram's heart. The text doesn't say how Abram was feeling, except that God knew and spoke directly to his heart and said, fear not. I don't know if you've ever been there where, where when God, whether it be through his word, whether it be through people, whether it be through his spirit, will just speak directly to your heart. When God knows you and knows you deeply and speaks directly, cuts straight to your soul. This was Abraham's moment. Fear not. Don't fear do not be fearful, Abram, because I promise, God says, to be your shield, and I promise that your reward is going to be great. Now, I, wanna, uh, I want you to notice something as we continue to read. This is the first time in, our, in Genesis that we read Abram is actually speaking back to God. Up to this point, Abram gets a word, and he takes it, and he, uh, he, we don't get any record of him speaking back, but here... He enters into a dialogue with God. He steps into a dialogue, and as we see, Abram, what he's going to do is express his doubts. I know none of us can relate to that, but he's going to express his doubts about what God has just promised him. This is what he says, but Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So Abram addresses God and expresses a little bit of doubt in God's promise. Uh, honestly, Abram believes God, but you get a sense that Abram feels like he needs to connect some of the dots for God. He doesn't know if he believes God with the house. So he says, you know what? You're, you say you're going to make me a great people, and you say you're going to make my offspring great, yet I don't have a child, so how about that guy? How about, I mean, I don't know much about Eleazar, but how about him? See, Abram is trying to fill in gaps. God made a promise. Abram doesn't see how the dots are going to connect, so Abram starts to try to make a way for God's promise to actually come true. He's full of doubt because he is childless. And so here, I love the way that God deals so tenderly to Abraham. It gives me great hope with the way God handles me. Uh, keep in mind also that this is the third time third time that God has promised Abraham. He, he promises in Genesis 12, 2, again, Genesis 12, 7, yet again, Genesis 13, 14 through 16. But this time, the promise was a tad bit more specific. Look, look at this in, in, verse, in verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. 
and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. That is incredible. God says, no, not him, not Eleazar. Instead, come out here with me and look up. Look up at the stars and understand, we have a bunch of probably city people in the room right now. These are not city people stars. <laughs> Go outside and look up at the a good old country sky full of stars. Try to count those. It's overwhelming, and that is an overwhelmingly good promise. Just overwhelming. Verse 6 is so beautiful because Abram looks up. We don't see Abram speaking in return. We, we just get the sense that he looks up, and in that moment, Scripture reveals his heart. He looks up, can't count them, and believes and believes. Verse 6, and he believed the Lord, and he, that is God, counted it to him as righteous, righteousness. What an incredible verse of scripture this is. What an incredible hope this is. Here's what I love. In the early pages of God's word, in the very beginning, we get a glimpse of what God is looking for in us. We, we write in the early stages. We get this picture of what God is looking for in his children. Think about it. We saw it in Genesis 4, if you remember, with Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain and Abel, we, we remember that Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Cain's was not. And we, we read in Genesis and we wonder why, but then Hebrews 11 tells us why. In Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commanded as, uh, commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel's sacrifice was one in faith. And we move on. Let's go to Enoch. Just a few chapters later, in, in Genesis, or one chapter later, in Genesis 5, 5.24, we read that Enoch was a man who walked with God and was taken up to be with God. We read that and we say, why? Well, again, Hebrews 11 tells us why. By faith, verse 5, Enoch was taken up. By faith, so that he should not see death, and he was he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having, what, pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We saw faith on display with Abel. One chapter later, faith on display for Enoch. And one chapter later, we get to Noah. What do we read about Noah? He was a righteous man in God's sight. And yet, again, Hebrews helps us understand why. Hebrews 11, chapter, or verse 7, by what? By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he commended the world and became an heir of the what? Of the righteousness that comes by faith. 
again, when you, when you see this, you, you, it's, you get this glimpse of what God is looking for in us. He's not looking for the most well-behaved of the bunch. He's looking for those who believe in him, who have faith in him. This is what God is looking for. He's looking for faith. Without faith, it is impossible, impossible to please God, regardless of what you try to do or try not to do. It is impossible to please God. If you do not believe him, trust him, set your faith in him, you will not please him, you will not be righteous before him. So like Abel, like Enoch, like Noah before him, Abram here believed. He believed and that faith was counted to him as righteous. And let's just be really clear here for a bit. We're going to talk about this more in a little bit. But you and I stand in the line of Abram. And what I mean by that is the way to please God has not changed. The way to please God, the way to be righteous before God has not been modified. It has not changed. It is still God looking for those, for a people who will believe. It is faith. There's no coincidence that this verse is quoted all throughout the New Testament. The New Testament authors are constantly driving us back to Genesis 15. Just constantly. We see in uh, Romans 4, which is a really beautiful chapter uh, of our Bible, because what, what this basically is, is Paul preaching Genesis 15, 6. He's basically preaching and teaching this one verse in Romans 4. He unpacks it and he quotes it. He says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham, Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's God who justifies. His faith was counted as righteousness. It's incredible. If you have time, you wouldn't regret spending time in Romans 4. Um, but beyond Romans 4, we see it in Galatians 3, where Paul, again, quotes, points us back. We see it in James chapter 2, where James now points us back. The New Testament authors are constantly pointing us back to Genesis 15. Why? Because the way to please God has not changed. God has revealed from the very beginning what it means to walk with him, what it means to be in a right standing with him. And it is and has always been through faith and faith alone. So the New Testament points us back. And Abram just walks in a line of brothers and sisters who have gone before him and have walked in faith. Abram believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, Abram does not know all of the answers. It's important to understand that. And in fact, we're going to see that just one verse down. But Abram trusted God and believed God for the outcome. And again, that faith was credited to him as righteousness. Now, we're going to turn a corner this morning. Our text turns a corner, and we get to drop into a scene that is absolutely incredible. This next portion of scripture, I, I would guess, 
that there's going to be some things that may be a little foreign to some of us. Uh, unless, I mean, some of you may have covenanted together like what we're about to see here, but I would worry about you if you have. We're going to see something um, a little bit different, and, and it's important here to do some context work. So there's an ancient practice. When two people, two parties would covenant together, they would come together, they would make a covenant uh, together, and here's what would happen. They would take an animal, they would kill that animal, and they would separate it into two pieces. And they would then take the two halves and place them in such a way that the two parties who are making the covenant would pass through the middle of them. As I said, I doubt any of you have done this. They would pass through the middle of them. It, it, it sounds quite gruesome, but the symbolism is rich and deep here. See, this would symbolize being faithful to the covenant. Because as the parties would pass through, it would vividly show them what would happen to them if they break it. So, so here's what, what happens. As they walk through, they make a covenant, they say, this is my word, this is what we're covenanting together, and if I go back, if I break this, if this doesn't happen, that will happen to me. Let that happen to me. It's my life. Like what happened to this animal, let it happen to me. So we see this practice of covenanting all throughout um, history books. We also see it in other places of Scripture. Uh, in, uh, one example is in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 34, we see the same covenantal ceremony happening here. Different results. I'll read it to you. It says, And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut into two and passed between its parts. This is vivid. The officials of Judah, the officials of, of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf. And I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hands of those who seek their lives. Their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. Now, that's vivid. Imagine if we took our covenants this seriously. This is vivid, and, and it, understanding this practice is going to help us understand this text in a beautiful beautiful way. So Abraham is in this covenant with God. He appears to him, and, and God tells him to take five animals, five animals. And as we're no, we'll notice here, there's no sacrifice, no altar, no fire, no, no incense, no nothing. It was this scene, it was gruesome, a bit unsettling, but that signified and symbolized so, so much. And as we read, this was a scene that had attracted quite a bit of birds, Birds of prey, as you read in your text, which were being fought off, and a lot of scholars are quick to say, hey, that symbolizes when other nations are coming in and they're having to be fought off of the people of God. And whether you buy that, believe that, that's awesome. Here's my point. This whole scene is so rich and thick with, with symbolism, and there's no greater symbolism than what we are about to see and what happens next. 
one of the, as I said, most incredible texts in all of Scripture. See, after we read that after all the preparations are made, Abram, after fighting off these birds, is exhausted and, and goes into a deep sleep. It says deep sleep falls on him. And not only is it deep, but the text describes it as being dark. And this is incredible to think about because this is often what happens when God enters covenant with his people. I want you to think about it. We'll see it later with Moses on Mount Sinai. What happens? Darkness. Because God's making a covenant with his people. We see that in Exodus 19. We look again at the new covenant with Christ. Darkness over the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he brings forth a new covenant in Matthew 27. It seems like there is this great and awe-inspiring and terrifying moment that we see when God condescends and, and makes a covenant with his creation. And this is that moment for Abram. This is that moment. And here in this moment, God now engages Abram for the first time, giving Abram the, the details of the promise. Uh, God begins to fill in the gaps for, for Abram. And God sets out for him what's going to take place. See, in, in verses 13 and 14, it says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. This is a reference, church, to the Exodus. What we could read as we keep going in our text when we get to the book of Exodus where God's people are enslaved. And what happens? God miraculously delivers them through Moses. This is a reference to that moment where God would restore them. And again, I just want to make reference here. All that happened. All that actually happened as we'll read in Exodus. Then he says in verse 15, As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, in a weird way, this is comforting. In a weird way, if you just put yourself in Abram's place, um, God says, look, no matter what faces you, and it's going to get hard, but no matter what faces you, uh, you're going to die in, a, in peace. You're going to die in peace in, in a good and old age. It's a pretty hopeful word, isn't it? It's a pretty hopeful word here. Along with this, though, I don't want us to miss this. He's also told, Abram now knows through this, that he won't actually occupy the land that God is promising him. He's going to die before it's realized. I don't know if you, if you caught this, but in this promise, he's promised people and, and the stars as his inheritance as his offspring, and he's also promised a land. And then he's also told, by the way, you're going to die before either one of those is realized. Still, though, let's go back to verse 6. He believed. He believed. So in, in verse 18, God is now going to set out the specifics of this promised land. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephraim, 
the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. I read that just to show you that it's okay to publicly butcher names. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to give you the freedom. If you just read them quickly and confidently, no one knows. They think they're wrong. Um, but it's, it's this incredible, it's this incredible promise. This incredible promise that, that Abram is given this promise that his line, that his people, that they will multiply, that they won't just rise and fall, but they will increase. It's a promise of land and provision. It's a promise of peace and security. Now, not only that, but here's where we're going this morning. It doesn't get better than verse 17. With all of that in mind, with everything we've just talked about in the, in the front of our mind, listen to this. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, torch passed between the pieces. Now, there have been many moments in, in history where God has appeared to his people. I think of Moses in the burning bush. I think of the pillar of fire in Deuteronomy 4. I think of the pillar of, of smoke and fire in Exodus 13. Moments that God appears to his people. Theologians call this theophanies, which is a cool word. But it means God himself, visual manifestation of God himself. In other words, God shows up. God shows up. Church, oh, the joy that must have flooded Abram's heart when he saw God passing between those animals. So do you remember what it symbolized? In this covenant between God and Abram, it wasn't God and Abram walking through. It was God and God alone. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that God was saying, if this covenant is broken, let that be done to me. Let that, I will take. If there is covenantal unfaithfulness, let this be done to me, not Abram, me. God was covenanting with Abram. I will give you this. this will, these will be your offspring. This will be your land. You will get this land or I will die. Abram watching this. My life is on the line, God said. In other words, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And by the way, side note, this did happen. So as we read in Scripture, we see that this was actualized. God did this. He did multiply Abram. He did bless them and spread them. He, he protected them. He did deliver them from slavery. He did do this. And eventually, even in, in David's reign, Abram's offspring did inhabit the land. This happened. And this isn't the end of God's covenant with Abram. We're going to continue to talk about this in Genesis. But it is incredible to step back and not to miss the fact that God here covenanted with Abram and then God accomplished what he promised. I promised to do this. I'm on the line if it doesn't go. And he did it. He brought it to be. Which is really, our God keeps his promises. It's really important for us just to stop and realize our God keeps his promises. Because as you search scripture, you see a lot of promises made to you. 
like Abram, like we see here, all of his promises will happen just as he promised. Abram's life, let it be an example, a comfort for us. Our God does what he says he will do. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Well, just like Abraham, his promises are sure. They are yes. Just like Abraham, he has guaranteed those promises to, to us. This is our God. This is the object of our faith. Now, um, as I've said, this is arguably one of the most gospel-drenched texts in all of the Old Testament. And, and I want us to consider for a moment the gospel implications as we look at this text. As I said, this is a sermon that I hope to call us to look up, behold our God, and believe. Look up, behold that he is good, look what he has done, and believe. So let's do that together. And let's, first of all, I want us to realize that we, like Abram, have done nothing to earn God's favor. Nothing. We, like Abram, have done no good that would make us righteous. Not one single person. The Bible tells us that all of sin falls short of the glory of God. And what is really happening here is the Bible is simply telling us what we already know about ourselves, and that is we are wicked. We know this. All of us are sinners, just like Abram. We are weak. This is why, by the way, church, when we read God called Abram in chapter 12, and by the end of chapter 12, Abram doubts everything and tries to sell his wife for his own protection and good. This is why we read that and we go, yeah, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> I, I, I did that. I've done that. Not the selling the wife thing. I have not done that. <laughs> but we can relate to the weakness that's on display here with, with Abram because we know we have not earned righteousness. So for all the sinners in the room, welcome to Stone Oak Bible Church. You're going to fit in. Second of all, we, like Abram, have been given a promise. I think we forget this sometimes. We've been given a promise. See, Abram was encountering God, making a covenant before his very eyes. Well, we, like Abraham, stand at and we look at, we're staring at a new covenant of God through Jesus Christ. In other words, we have been given really good news. We have been given news that God loves us and that he didn't just stay up there and love us from afar, but that he came down. The word Jesus put on flesh. We know that he lived the life that we could never live. That he died the death that we deserve for the life we lived. And that he died and rose in victory. We know that there is salvation for everyone who believes in him. We know this. This is the good news. We know that there is forgiveness of sin and life eternally for all who believe in Jesus Christ. This is the promise that is set before you and I this morning. 
This is, the prom- this is the new covenant before us. See, we like Abram are sinners, not having earned righteousness. We like Abram have been given a promise and we're looking directly into a covenant that is staring us in the eye. And third, we like Abram are faced with the same question is, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe God? Do you believe God's promise? Like with Abram, it all comes back to faith. Do you believe that what God said is true? Our part is to trust. See, Abram, who was far from perfect, Abram, who who often relapsed into doubt, Abram believed. He believed he had faith in God, and that faith justified him before God. Like Abram, our God counts us, this is a hard thing to even consider, perfectly righteous through Jesus Christ. That's how your God looks at you through faith in Jesus Christ. Just as he did with Abram. There has been a covenant made, a new covenant, and and like Abram, the terms of the covenant have been laid out before us. And that covenant before us today is this. God has, has covenanted with himself for an eternal kingdom to save us, a covenant of salvation, redemption, forgiveness, adoption, And our God has promised to do this. Our God has promised to do this. And I believe there is something else that we share in common with Abram. Probably the single most important part of all of this. Like Abram, there was only one who passed through. There was only one who passed through and set this covenant into motion. There is only one. Don't miss this. God, as God passed through the middle with Abram, what God did is he said loud and clear, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And when they fail, when they are unfaithful to me, let this be done to me. Let me pay the price. Let me pay with my life. See, God himself took on both sides of this covenant. In other words, when they sin, God said, I will take that on myself. Let that be done to me. Church, please see this morning that your God has said very loudly and clearly, I have covenanted with them. I have made a way for them to be saved. And when they fail, When they sin, when they are unfaithful to me and to this covenant, let that be done to me. Let me pay that price. Let me give my life. When they sin, our God said, I will take that sin on myself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Your God covenanted with himself to save you from your sin. And what he is covenanted to do, he will do, and it will be done, because he is a good God who makes good on his promises. In faith, you are counted righteous before your God. 
In, in faith, you are counted righteous before the sight of your God. Do you believe? Do you believe the promise that has been laid before you? Just like Abram, looking up into the night sky, seeing the stars, and believing. Do you, having seen the good news, do you believe? Look up and see what he has done. Behold him that he is good and believe that you might be saved. Church, if you're here and you're seeking answers, if you're here and you're dealing with doubt, if you're here and you're struggling to see your purpose, if you're struggling to see your value, if you're here and you're tired, if you're here and you are weighed down, if you're here and you are tired of empty religious motions, if you're here and you're tired of feeling guilty, if you're here and you feel convicted, if you're here and you feel faithless and unfaithful, the invitation for us is to look up Behold our God and believe. To look up, see what he has done. Behold our God that he is good and believe that you might be saved. As we close our time, I want us to see just a few things. First, it is God who initiated this covenant. I don't want us to rush past this. He made a way for you to come to him to save you from your sin. You weren't the one trying to figure out, God, how do I find you? How do I get to you? No, no. God made a way and came down to you. The word became flesh and came down to you. God initiated this covenant. So you do, do you believe in Christ? Not only has God initiated this covenant, but second, as we have read, God guaranteed it and secured his covenant forever. He paid the price for your sin. He did this. Christ was perfect and he died for you, a broken sinner, to save you. And his promise to save you is sure. Again, let me just remind you, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is Jesus that is why through him, that is Jesus, we utter our amen to God for his glory. Look at this. Who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. God initiated this covenant. God secures this covenant through the work of Jesus Christ. And third, please don't miss this. God passed through the middle for you. When he put on flesh and came to this earth, do you believe in Christ? Have you placed your faith in Christ? Right now, I want you to, to ask and answer this. Right now, are you righteous in the eyes of your God? Right now, are you righteous through faith in Jesus Christ? Are you righteous? Are you counted as righteous before your God? Look up. See what he has done. Behold that he is good and believe that you might be saved. And as you do, scripture tells us that you will be counted righteous before his sight. Saved from your sin and be with Christ for all eternity. I want to close with this scripture in 1 John 5, 
since I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is our invitation this morning, to look up, behold your God, and believe. Let's pray. Lord, from the beginning, you have shown what you look for in your creation and your people. You have shown the kind of person that you are looking for. And God, we just stop and we acknowledge your grace. That it is not about us being perfect. It is not about our good works. It is not about the things that we do and the things that we don't do. It's not about any of the things that we bring to the table. It's not about what we do. It is about what you have done. And you are looking for a people who will, like Abram, look into the sky, see the stars, and say, I believe. This morning, I, I, I ask that you would help us to do that. To look up, to behold that you are good, and to believe. Would you show yourself to us? For those in the room who maybe do not know you, have never responded to the gospel of your son coming and dying on the cross for our sin. Lord, I pray in this moment that you, just through your spirit and your word, would just bring conviction into our hearts, that you would call us, and Lord, that you would give us the ears to hear it. And would you give us the courage to respond? Lord, for, for all of us in this room who, who, like Abram, find ourselves believing yet doubting, God, would you just bring comfort and peace to our lives and to show us that you are a God who makes good on his promises, that we can trust you fully and completely. We can trust you more than we can trust ourselves. Would you just strengthen our faith today? God, as we leave this place, would you strengthen our faith each and every day? Would you cause us to just believe you at your word? We give you the glory for that as you do this work in our hearts. In Jesus' name.